0: the Stalker and I podcast for single women considering solo motherhood by donor conception i'm your host Mel Johnson the solo motherhood coach and solo mum to a three-year-old daughter for series three of the podcast i've interviewed a variety of people who share their personal stories providing a collection of different perspectives of paths to parenthood in today's episode i speak to Sarah Camlet solo mum to two children a two-year-old son and a six-year-old daughter I really wanted to have a conversation with Sarah as she has a big job in film and TV that sends her all around the world including lots of travel and I'm super interested on how she manages it all going through fertility treatment and now with two children. Sarah thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. Before we get started would you like to give a bit of an introduction to
1: yourself? Sure. Um, my name is Sarah Camlet. I'm 43. Uh, I live in East London with my two children who are both uh, donor-conceived. I'm a solo mum. Uh, I have a six-year-old daughter and a two-year-old son. I work in film and TV and I am very fortunate to have my parents very close to me um, who are, I mean, my mum is essentially my children's other parent but we will talk about that later on Uh, we have a dog called Gloria who was a bit of a lockdown um slightly dubious um decision but (laughs) very sweet and that's it really I
0: think fab it sounds very familiar with the mum situation so I look forward to talking about that so what was the build-up to the decision on choosing solo motherhood
1: well I was very fortunate to have what some people would consider a very glamorous job, And I spent my twenties and and my early thirties working really hard, traveling loads, going to film festivals all over the world, you know, really kind of going to lots of film premieres and parties and living on canapes and champagne and having really just, loads of fun working really hard and dating on and off but you know not really having any serious relationships and you know as and when it kind of became a thing and did a bit of online dating never really appealed to me and I just met lots of people who were nice but not people that I wanted to go on a second date with, let alone you know anything more. Um and as 35, 36 started to approach I had to stop for a minute and I'm someone that really lives in the moment and I don't dwell on the past and I hadn't been someone who thought about the future particularly it was just having a great time with fantastic friends and family around me and a few things happened in the space of about three to six months and they just started to ring little bells in my head um I had lunch with a Really fantastic woman uh, in my industry who's older than me, uh, and I really love working with her and collaborating with her on different things. And we had this lunch, and she said to me, "Don't do what I did." And I was, I thought, "Well, what do you mean?" And she said, "My greatest regret is not having children." Wow. And she said, "I love my nieces and nephews, but I, I, I didn't. I was so caught up in my career that I didn't." think about it and and it became too late. And she sort of said it, she'd obviously been thinking about it, but it wasn't, it it just came out of the blue. And I was sort of, you know, oh yeah, you know, okay, fine. And then a few months later I was in my local park with my dog that I had at the time. And when you have a dog you make friends, dog friends. You don't know the owners' names, but you know all the dog's names and I was, you know, this lady that I'd seen in the park lots of times and she was going through a process of adoption and it was right at the end of the process the final court hearing was coming up she was really excited and we were talking about it and she said something along the lines of you know I can't wait to be this child's mother I wish I tried to have a baby by myself right and at that point I was like oh and I started to think about my future and I started to think about what that looked like and when I started to think about a future without children in it—it it really was something. I just thought, I can't. I don't want that. I want to be a parent. I want to have kids. I love children. You know, I'm. My best friend's kids are like mine. You know, I I adore them. Um, and I have a friend who's had a friend who I'd met once or twice, and I knew that she'd had a baby by herself. And I asked our mutual friend if you know she would ask her. If could chat and she said yes and we met for a coffee and her daughter was a baby um and i asked her loads of questions and she was really candid and helpful and we met up a couple of times and i just started to formulate this idea of how solo motherhood worked and as i said i'm very close to my parents so i sat down and spoke to them about it and i think they were a bit taken aback to start with and you know i just you know focus on getting a boyfriend and i said well (laughs) I don't know if that's what I want. Like, I've tried that. I've been trying that for quite a long time. That isn't really working. And realistically, you start doing the maths. You know, if I meet someone tomorrow, we still want to get to know each other. You know, we might want to get married. I don't know. You know, but it's not going to be for at least two years. And by that point, I'll be, you know, coming up to 40. And the more I thought about it, and I'm a real researcher, whatever I do, whether it's buying a Hoover, like I will research everything. And I did my research and I read and read and read and everything I read and people I spoke to just convinced me that it was the thing I wanted to do. And I spoke to my parents again and they obviously were, you know, really supportive. And I think, you know, obviously nervous about it, but were, Willing to support me, which was amazing, and I went to see my GP about something else, and I brought it up with her, and I said to her, "You know, I'm thinking about doing this. Is there who do you know a good doctor, like who fertility specialist?" um And she gave me like quite a stern talking to about, you know, do you know how hard this is going to be? And I was like, "Yeah, I think so." <laughs> in a loving, in a loving, kind way. Yeah. And she said, "Look, there's this doctor. I don't." I've seen him speak at things and I think he's really impressive so go and see him and so I did and had a what
0: time period was that over so you said from when sort of that first trigger of someone saying that was my biggest regret to you thinking okay this is what I'm gonna do can you remember probably
1: over about a year I think and I went to see the uh, fertility specialist and had a consultation with him and then he sent me off to have all the tests done to see you know how my fertility was and and then you have the implications counseling like I hadn't thought about the implications but anyway and then my best friend broke up with her partner and they were meant to be going to the Maldives and she said And I was, and I literally was like, I'll come, (laughs) (laughs) pick me (laughs) up the bandwagon of her heartbreak and went to the Maldives with her over Christmas. And actually it was great because we had a lot to think about and we could talk to each other. And I'd sort of given myself this idea that I'd take this holiday to make a decision about what I wanted to do, which was quite a lot of pressure in hindsight. But, you know, I got to really think about it and think about, you know, well, if my day looks like this, how would I fit a child into that? you know, how would it work? And I came home, hadn't really made a decision decision. And then I just had like two months of absolute crazy. I was doing a tour with one of my clients and we went to all these film festivals and just, you know, partied a lot. Um Came back to London and just, I, it was always like I had to get it out of my system. So, did that and then kind of went right okay I think I'm gonna do it now went back to see my doctor and then it's donor choosing right no you know you know (laughs) um you then have to choose a donor and I pretty early on decided from my research that I was going to use a clinic in America okay um I started looking at Zytec, which is I think the main one. And I started looking through profiles and it dawned on me quite early on, which took me by surprise slightly, um, that I wanted to have a donor who was Jewish, because I'm Jewish. And I'm not particularly religious, but culturally and spiritually it's something very important to me. And I just felt like if the donor was Jewish, if the children, child wants to meet him, when they're grown up, that there would be some sort of deeper connection.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I don't know if that is the case, but it just really felt important to me. And then obviously I had to narrow down the donors. So, um, and there weren't very many.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, if that makes it easier because you've sort of got a selection, you know, already narrowed down then.
1: Exactly. Um, so I found one at Zitex that I really liked. And when I got in touch with them, was no longer available for mm-hmm. the UK. So that was a blow and I thought I have to recover from that a bit because you start, you know, getting hopeful. Um, and then I started looking at a different sperm bank in America. All of this obviously online. Again, narrowed down to Jewish donors and found a donor that lots of things in the profile just were lightning bolts. Um, things that really resonated with our family, and at this particular sperm bank they sent you an audio interview right which was just incredible because I, you know, I don't care what i didn't care what the donor looked like it didn't matter to me it's about who is this person who is what is the spirit of this person and hearing his voice and hearing him answer questions i got a sense of who he is and his sense of humor and his warmth and I just, and that was it. It was just, and I played it to my parents and showed them all the information and whatever. And then, you know, and then I'm buying sperm with my AMET.
0: <laughs> you, you never um, imagine that that's what you're going to be doing, <laughs> do <you>? <laughs> <laughs> um, And so then did you have IVF or did you have IUI?
1: No. So uh, the first, I had uh, a round of IUI with medication. Don't ask me which ones, because I can't remember. So I had a round of IUI and... It was all, you know, weird and intrusive, but my doctor is so amazing and made me feel so comfortable. And he did something. I don't know if this happens to everybody, but it was so mind blowing. So when he did the procedure, he put the scanner on my stomach so I could watch the Mm -hmm. swimming, (laughs) which was just amazing science is amazing
0: I really wish that I had that um because I don't know if they were recording it when they did it but I really wish that you could have that moment where you see it drop in it it is amazing
1: I totally agree um you know and then the dreaded two-week wait which is obviously horrible um and it didn't work and I was disappointed, but I think I'd sort of taught myself into thinking it's probably not going to work the first time. Mm-hmm. I've never been pregnant. My body doesn't know what to do. Um, so I was I was really gutted, but I also I think I'd, I'd managed my expectations enough to think it probably wouldn't work the first time. Um, and he was like, let's just go again, straight away. Let's just go, you know. Uh, so we did another two-week wait, and it worked. Wow.
0: And how old were you then?
1: 30, oh, 36 or 37. I can't yeah. remember when I turned like how pre- I think I was, I think I had my 37th birthday when I was pregnant at some point, so 36.
0: And how did you manage, um, with your, your job, which I am very jealous of, by the way, um, how did you manage to have the treatment? Was that challenging or...?
1: I told so many lies <laughs> Amazing. it's, it's apologized to my team for telling so many lies, but I did. Um, I think I was doing a lot of physio um, I just yeah I, I just lied I mean I'm very lucky because I have com- you know complete autonomy with my job, so I can come and go as I please, and I did try and make appointments at lunchtime or early in the morning and my office is not far from Harley Street so it wasn't you know too much of a strain but you know when you start your process it's every other day scans so I did just have to I think I can't remember whether I said that I had like a stomach problem I think the second time it was physio but yeah um I just lied Love it.
0: So then you find out you're pregnant. How many weeks pregnant were you before you started telling people? Did you wait or did you tell them early? I waited. I waited quite a
1: long time actually. Mm-hmm. Um, I Because I found, and I don't know if you feel the same, so I found the first 12 weeks really excruciating because I, every morning I would wake up and my first thought would be, I hope I haven't had a miscarriage in my mouth. And I
0: would
1: sort of get out of bed. I just, it was scary because I wanted this so much and the thought of losing it after all of that was, you know, was just horrifying. So I just found it really, it was it was really um, a difficult and scary time. Although I was, you know, I was really healthy. I think I had one little, you know, scary bleed where you quickly run to, you know, uh, the um, hospital, but it, everything was fine. So then 12 weeks came and I relaxed. Okay. But then I just wanted to enjoy it for a bit by myself.
0: Right, yeah.
1: I mean, obviously my mum and dad knew and they, bless them, didn't tell anyone. And I think that was really hard for them. Yeah. Um, and my mum and I went on a little spa break, which was lovely. Um, and then I came back. So I think I started telling people at 14 weeks. Um, and so
0: had they, had you chatted about the concept with them or was it a complete surprise to people?
1: I hadn't told anyone.
0: Really? I'm uh, such an oversharer, I told everybody.
1: I think, I, I, yeah I didn't, I just wanted, because I didn't know what was going to happen and I didn't know how many rounds of treatment I'd need and I just didn't want people asking me all the time. And because I've got my mom and dad to talk to, I think, if I didn't have that support, I probably would have reached out to more. But I didn't didn't really want to talk about it. Although saying that, actually, that's not completely true. A couple of my friends knew because we went to Barcelona and it was the week before I had my IUI and I was doing my injection. So I had to tell my friend who I was sharing room with.
0: Yeah.
1: Friend I went to the Maldives with, so she, pretty much knew anyway but in terms of like most of my friends and family no one knew and it was hilarious telling people was absolutely hilarious because I told I took my team uh, out for breakfast and my assistant cried which was beautiful Um, and they were instantly just so excited and happy for me but the general reaction was how (laughs) who wins um and it was just I just loved it because the thing is when you get married people just assume that at some point, you know, they're going to get pregnant, but no one even thought new really, especially at work. No one knew I was even thinking about it. Um, so it was really fun to tell people. Yeah. And I remember, I think the weekend before I told work, I decided to tell my friends and I remember walking round and round in circles in my local park, making phone calls to all my friends to tell them, And a couple of colleagues who I was really good friends with that I wanted to tell before I kind of told work officially and then I waited a while before I told my clients but not too much longer but yeah telling people was so fun.
0: And did you get a positive reaction from most people?
1: from everybody. Now, whether they said negative things behind my back, I don't know, I don't care, it's not my business. (laughs) What people say about you behind your back is none of your business. Um, But yeah, really supportive from everybody. And I think the thing is, and I get the sense that you're similar, everyone who knows me knows, that I'm very independent and I'm very sensible and I don't make bad decisions, i try not to. Um, And everything I've done, I've done by myself. You know, I have made my career, I've bought my houses, I've, you know, I've done it by myself. And I think when you see somebody who is independent and strong and calm and sensible and positive, they can do anything and I don't, well, from what i know there were no doubters yeah
0: people just know your personality so they're like yeah it's another thing that she'll just be able to do and i also think the way that you talk to people about it gives them confidence if you talk to people with anxiety that anxiety rubs off on them if you talk to them with confidence and pride that rubs off on them so i always say to people how you tell people i think has a big difference in their reaction as well um so yeah no I totally agree and I think the the thing for me was um in the first trimester um I'd I had a little bit of anxiety but but not too much just about you know whether it would be okay but my big thing was I was felt really really rough so I would remember coming home from work at four o'clock. Um, I don't finish work at 4 (laughs) o'clock, but just having to leave at 4 o'clock and just going to bed because I was exhausted and um, yeah, I I didn't feel good, I was really, really tired and struggled with my job just to hold it together. So when I told my team at work, they were like, oh, okay, like it makes sense. And again, had sort of autonomy at work, so could kind of get away with that. Did you feel better than that, or did you struggle a bit in the first trimester?
1: Uh, I was so lucky. I was fine. I mean, I think I had a couple of waves of nausea right at the beginning. Um, I couldn't stop eating, and I was all I wanted. I was sitting at my desk, and all I wanted was a big bowl of cold, wet fruit. Like, I was just... I needed the... The, the coldness and the sweetness. And I just sat with like, this big bowl of berries every day. Um, I yeah. wish I would have craved
0: berries. I've got a picture of me eating salt and vinegar hula hoops for breakfast on my way into the office. And then I had for lunch, chips and potato
1: salad. I just needed all of the beige food. Oh, well second trimester was cheese and I wanted, and I had it every day. Marks and Spencers gluten-free cheese ploughman sandwich every day lunch, and that, and I would go out of my office and I would think I'm gonna have something different and oh, well that was all I had every day it doesn't bring yourself to I, I couldn't even look at one now but yeah at the time that was all I wanted
0: and how did you manage um your job during pregnancy was that because if you were traveling and going to lots of parties and stuff before did you have to sort of like tailor that
1: a little bit or did you try and keep up with it yeah with my first pregnancy I because I felt great I still traveled and still did stuff I mean obviously I wasn't drinking and I was not going to like party parties but I was still going to dinners and the theater um I went to see my friend in Billy Elliot and she was just like dancing in my tummy which was Brilliant. Um, I to be honest, I just pretty much got on with it, and um, I and I think because I felt good, yes. I was able to just carry on. I mean, I was tired, but you know, from pregnancy one to pregnancy two it was a completely different thing right. You come to, okay. um, but no, I, I mean, I went to a party. The last, so I, I finished work, We uh, my company closes for Christmas for two weeks and we I, I finished work on the, I don't know, 17th of December or something like that and went to a party that night. I went to a 30th birthday that night and I was up quite late, I remember, and then about, it must have been just after Christmas, I went to a wedding and I had an Uber booked for 10.30 or something and I kept making it later and later and everyone's like go home <laughs> yeah! I was so pregnant and I got home and lay down and she was still going and I was like oh no I think is this labor she was dancing and going completely mad I think she just got too overexcited. Well. <laughs> but no I, I, I pretty much went at it till the end you really. know
0: I mean I was the same in a very much more boring way because some people say to me or you know can you carry on and do what you need to do during pregnancy and I moved countries because I moved from Hungary back to the UK I bought a house renovated the house. I was like, I remember being seven and a half months pregnant and ripping the carpet up in the attic and pulling it down the stairs because they needed to fit a new carpet because I was renovating this house. And I was back and forth on the train between London and Manchester all the time. And for me, I just thought, some people aren't as lucky, and maybe that's what you're going to come and tell us about the second pregnancy, but the, um, if you feel well in the pregnancy, which many people do, um, I think that it's possible to carry on almost right through the end.
1: I had a love conversion as well in my house while I was pregnant, and at one point I said to the guys, I was like, if you don't hurry up and finish, you're delivering this baby. <laughs> that's a good incentive to... And they were like, oh, are you relaxing? I was like, no, I've got builders in the house. Like, I can't, it's dust everywhere. I, you know, it didn't, it didn't stop me from doing anything, actually, at all.
0: And so then how did you find that first um, period of entering into solo motherhood?
1: Well... I want to talk about birth for a minute, actually. sorry. I I missed the birth out completely. I mean, not too much, but only because I've seen a few conversations on some of the Facebook groups about, like, who goes with you. Oh, yes, true. I think that's really important because I, I mean, my mum was obviously going to come with me and be my birth partner. That was a given. But I felt like, I didn't know how she would react. I'm her baby and I don't know what's going to happen to me in there and I just felt like I wanted someone else so I researched because so that's what I do and I decided to have a doula Interesting. Um, and it was the best decision I could possibly have made and I found someone who I will eternally hold in my heart because she is one of the best people I've ever met in my life and she came before obviously uh, the birth um, and we, you know, we had like a session together and talked about my expectations and I was doing hypnobirthing. So I was very much on the, you know, birth preferences rather than, um, what do they call it? Birth plan. So preferences rather than plan, Uh, wanting very much to have a natural birth, not wanting to have intervention and i felt so confident going into my birth because i knew part of that was a hip birth birthing but also she was my advocate so she was the person that did not have an emotional connection to me but understood exactly what i wanted to try and achieve um could communicate with the medical staff on their level because she used to be a midwife and you know had loads of experience um but also would be able to manage my expectations if things didn't go the way I wanted them to, which allowed my mum to just hold my hand, you know, and my mum didn't then have to be the person to try and translate things that were going on. Um,
0: Very different roles they could play then, and both great roles for you to have.
1: Exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. And uh, I didn't have an easy birth, but I had a natural birth. I had a little bit of intervention at the end, but You know, I didn't have any drugs and having her there was the most valuable thing ever. And I would say to people thinking about, you know, going solo is if you can, I would really recommend having a doula.
0: I think that's, that's, I'm really glad that you (laughs) got me to go back to that because some people don't know who to have as their birth partner anyway. You had a natural person in asking your mum to be there and still benefited from a doula. So um, I do talk to people about, you know, the possibility of having a doula, but it's really great to hear from someone who's done it and
1: has really benefited from it. She's amazing. I mean she came to my daughter's first birthday party.
0: When
1: she walked in the room I burst into tears. Like she is, I I can't tell you, she's so important to me because she helped me, she enabled me to have the birth I wanted to have. I had for both both children and she's incredible. Brilliant. Then I had a baby. And they just let me take her home after 12 hours, which I thought was really irresponsible. (laughs) of But I don't know what to do. (laughs) It was lovely. I mean, you know, it was just heaven. My mum moved in with me and slept in my bed with me. (laughs) And we'd eat toast and drink tea at five o'clock in the morning while I was trying to work out how to feed her. And feeding, you know, once I'd established... What I was doing feeding was really good uh, I'm so lucky she was a very you know oh not I hate the word good when you describe babies but mm-hmm. she was a really easy baby she mm-hmm. fed and she slept and she was tiny and beautiful and I just couldn't believe my luck and the joy of what had happened to me and you know there was no covid so all my friends came to see us and on day four i went to meet my nct group and we were the second baby of the group to be born and we sat in a cafe and i fed her in public for the first time which was absolutely terrifying. i was sweating and you know oh god it was awful but we did it and i just loved it she was born in january so even though it was cold We were out every day because I had the dog, so I had to take the dog for a walk. Um, And it was just lovely. It was lovely. How long did your mum stay with you for? Um, I think think it was about maybe six weeks or so. Um, And my best friends had their 10th wedding anniversary and they had a dinner and I went. With my daughter. She was tiny. It was the first time I'd taken her out in the evening. And I remember coming home and my mum not being there for the first time, being a bit like, (laughs) oh but it was fine, you know. And then I just had to get used to, and it was, you know, it was nice getting used to it being just me and her, but knowing that my mum was around the corner if I needed.
0: Yeah, that's always nice. And so then how long did you take off on maternity leave for that? I
1: had six months off. I was very lucky to really have six months off like I didn't I didn't work and my clients were amazingly understanding and my colleagues were very supportive um, and looked after my clients brilliantly um, and I really got to enjoy being a mum completely because once you go back to work you 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 can't do that you know you're spread much more thinly. How
0: did about going back were you ready or would you have liked
1: well, I think I would have liked a bit more time and I when I took her for her first settling session at nursery and left her there I sobbed all the way home and I phoned my mum and said oh, this I'm making a terrible mistake I think I just have to give up my job and sell my house and go and live in the country and you know I, I can't do this um but once she was settled into nursery and once I went back and the weirdest thing, I don't know if you felt this, was I went back to work and everything was the same. Yes, like what have you been doing for the last six months? Same office, same desk, same people. I was totally different, yeah. everything was the same, and it was really weird. Mm-hmm. And we just got used to it, it was just a new rhythm. And again, I was lucky because my mum had her two days a week, so she went to nursery three days and it was a really lovely balance. Although having said that, if I hadn't had my mum, I would have been fine to send her to nursery full time. The nursery is amazing. And she was so happy and really well looked after. And I actually think sending her at six months meant that she didn't know any different. It was just her routine. Mm. So friends that were starting to get their kids into nursery at one or 18 months had such a hard time. Whereas Mm. she just, it was just normal for her. Yeah. Um, And it just meant that the weekends were everything. Yeah, you know, the weekend king because that was our time together, and we just did loads of stuff and saw friends and you know, and just really made the most of those that time.
0: And how did you make your job work? Did you have to
1: change the way you did stuff? Or definitely, I think before I was a parent. I wasted a lot of time and I worked really hard, but you know, there's procrastination. My office, former office was on Oxford Street. So at lunchtime, I'd go and have a little wander down to Topshop or, oh, let me just say rest in peace. I know, I'm so sad, <laughs> um, but you know, or I, you know, mess around on social media for a bit at lunchtime. And I had to leave the office early because I had to get back to pick her up from nursery get her home get her fed bath to bed and then I would carry on working in the evening mm. so my day didn't have time for that and being a working parent has made me a lot more focused
0: mm.
1: I, I have to get stuff done in a, in a shorter time because I need to have some time with my children at the end of the day before they go to bed and then I generally work from like 8 till 10 10 30 but I have to work with America, so that's when they're awake. So I do my American stuff during that time as well. Um, but actually, I've got no one else to talk to in the evening, so I might as well be doing work, you know, um, especially in COVID. <laughs> you no, know, it's, it's
0: helped me so much in COVID. I work every evening, but I do work on the stalk and I, which I like. And it's given me a real focus and something to really, um, yeah, and the same. Otherwise, I'm here at home, I'd be watching TV probably.
1: But again, I'm very lucky to have a job in a company where I can have that flexibility. Sure. I'm producing the same results, but just doing it on my own you know, timeline. And I remember having a conversation with my boss who said you know, he switches off at a certain time in the evening and that's it, email, phone off until the next day. Everyone manages their life differently. And I think the way that companies will move forward the only way to move forward is to embrace everyone's situations and allow them to have that you know to take responsibility for their own yeah actions.
0: any company that wants to survive um, i am obsessed with this because um i don't know if you've heard of um daniel pink he's got this book called um uh, when and I, I love it and it's basically about when people have their energy and it, you can do it when you have your energy I suppose in our cases there's also when you have actually the time um, around childcare, and it is about um, how you can get the best from people if you leave them to say when can I make this work not saying you have to do it between here and here for no specific reason apart from that as a rule they're setting so um yeah I think for anyone considering this if you work for a company that will allow you to decide when um it's so much easier than a company that dictates when now of course there's some jobs where you couldn't do that because you know there's it depends what the job is. if you work in a supermarket you've obviously got to work at the times that it's open um but the yeah i think it's really beneficial when you can work it around what works for you for sure
1: you know, the last year we've all worked from home yeah and it's very successful so i think it shows that actually it doesn't, doesn't really matter where you're sitting as long as you're getting on and doing it at your own you know Exactly. Time when works best for you. I like it. So then
0: tell me, when did these thoughts start creeping in? Hmm, should I be thinking about having another one? Oh,
1: I just say that at least once a day I do say to myself, what were you thinking? <laughs> um, so life was lovely, having one child, lovely, easy, clever, funny child. Brilliant. Um I think I, so I'm an only child. I had a beautiful childhood. I never wanted siblings. I was so happy. I was surrounded by people. Um, I think when I was about 11, I said to my parents, I was terribly lonely and could I have a dog? And they relented and got me a dog. Um, But I had never imagined having more than one child. I'd only ever really thought about one. And then I had one. And then I started thinking about her and her future. And remember, I'm not someone that thinks much about the future, but I again had to stop and think about it. And I thought, well, you know, she'll only have me. I don't have brothers and sisters. So there's no cousins around. My sort of second cousins all live in Australia and we're really close, but we're close because we've, you know, spent time together and, you know. So I want her to have someone that's her person. And I'm not rose tinted glasses about it. I know from friends that lots of people have siblings that they don't get on with. I get that completely, but at the end of the day, that person is your person. And you want to have have the opportunity
0: to potentially have someone who's, um, you know, close. Um,
1: So I started thinking about it and I, Again, went to see my lovely doctor and we chatted about it. And when I'd bought my sperm, I bought six vials of sperm. Okay. Used two, so I knew I had four left. And I, again, started thinking about, okay, well, what would happen if I did that? And she was two and a half, maybe, when I started thinking about it. And I also was, what I didn't want to do was not do it. And then regret it yeah. to do it, because my fertility wasn't brilliant, like the quality of my eggs was good, but the reserve was low, so I knew that you know i, I if I wanted to use my own eggs that I didn't know that I could leave it too much longer yeah. so I had an iUI, and that didn't work, and then I had a second iUI which didn't work, and then there was a problem which I'm not going to talk about because there's some legal implications but there was a problem which meant that I then had quite a long wait until the next step and I had IVF right because my reserve was low I had to do a collection so I did three rounds of collection and freezing and then they um inseminated the embryos and I think I had 12 and they I can't remember all the language isn't it i was it was all i could ever think about and now i can't even remember what the terminology is and they fertilized eight right um and then i had the pgs testing yeah which i see so much debate about and it's really interesting to me i don't know if you had it done um
0: Uh, they just didn't recommend they didn't suggest it to be honest No, i didn't Um, and to me
1: i was like well why wouldn't i have it yeah. i'm going to go through the motions of having it the egg implanted i want to know it's a good one yeah. um so i had that and one was really really excellent one had to be retested and came back and it was good and then the other one was they call it mosaic i think where it, it they're not sure but it's better than like it's as good as it can be but they're not sure and the others were all write offs and seeing on paper, like the breakdown of the chromosomes was so interesting that seeing all the different chromosomes and the levels in the, you know, and that was because of my, you know, my eggs and my age. So I had the one, the really good one um, implanted, and then I fell pregnant with my son. <laughs> I was convinced I would have another girl. There were no boys in my family. Yeah. So I had the harmony test. And she said, Do you want to know the sex? And I said, Yes, fully expecting her to say female. And she said, Male. And I said, Your machine's broken.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and she said, it, It's not. It's a chromosomal test. It's male. And I held it in until I got outside and phoned my mum and burst into tears.
0: Oh, really so much of a shock.
1: And I really, it took me a minute to to come to terms with the of having a boy because i just assumed it would be another girl i had a name picked out i mean i'd already in my mind gone through the loft and all the little outfits and the clothes and the absolute shocker wow that was weird um and i also hated every boy's name that's ever been <laughs> made I, he was he was gonna be nameless because i just hated him. <laughs> he couldn't find and, useless I was like oh let's call him baby Dave I was like I don't want to call him baby Dave (laughs) Um, Or let me just call him Elsa no I don't think that's gonna work
0: (laughs) (laughs) and then you said that this pregnancy was not the same well the pregnancy
1: was fine but I had a child ah I'd not thought about that (laughs) there was no pregnancy pilates there was no lying in lovely luxurious baths there was no going when I was pregnant with my daughter I went to a a pilates retreat in Tuscany wow do any of that I just did my normal stuff but carrying a gigantic boy baby and that so how old was your daughter at that point oh she so when he was born she just turned four right three And remember, dream child, so, you know, we didn't have terrible twos, we had none of that lovely, but, you know, I'm still taking her to ballet, taking her to play dates, taking her swimming, doing all the things just with a, you know, big, heavy um, tummy, and I felt fine. I was much more tired, but I was tired because I had a kid and my job.
0: Yeah.
1: And, but I went to New York on business
0: when I was pregnant with him, And what did you do when I went abroad a few times with work? um, When I'm trying to think how old Daisy would have been, you know, maybe one. Um, And I remember my mum looked after her, and it started off at one night, and then I was like trying to eke it (laughs) off of you, and I was like, now mum if you could do three nights then I could actually have one night and catch up with some friends I used to live with in Budapest (laughs) Um, and I think I'm so different to a lot of my friends because they were like we couldn't bear to be apart for three nights but for me I found that being a solo mum meant that we were together every night and every weekend and um, I really felt that I could have three nights to myself really refill my cup from a work capacity and a social capacity and then go home and spend some lovely time with her so my mum like I think the maximum I've done mainly because that was all (laughs) my mum was willing to do um was three nights did you how did you do it when you went abroad as well I
1: did you know certain situations I don't have a choice you know I need to go and be I mean I went to LA for five days when Marnie was too i guess but because she spent so much time with my parents it wasn't you know it wasn't unusual for her to be with them she had her same routine they took her to nursery and you know but i would call her when it was before she was going to bed you know so in the morning in la she wasn't interested in even talking to me <laughs> you're like are you even missing me <laughs> i was like heartbroken And i got on the plane i was like oh god and then i had a glass of champagne and i thought this is <laughs> um, I had a brilliant time and I worked really hard and I saw loads of friends as you say caught up with friends had lovely dinners and came back feeling you know really refreshed and, and it was but again th- I just didn't have a choice really I
0: think, I think the thing is you don't have a choice but then you have a choice about how to feel about it so I- for me if you've got to go for work you may as well bloody enjoy it whilst you're there. Because if you're spending the whole time thinking, I wish I didn't have to be here, I'm missing my child, there's, no, there's just no point in going in my mind. So I think embrace having that time and make the most of it and then make the most of the time when you're back again, it would be my sort of recommendation to people.
1: We're very lucky to have our parents of who can look after them. You know, if I didn't have my mom and dad I mean, I guess I would have to have a live-in nanny, you know, but I don't know that I would have gone away for five days to America and left my child with a nanny because that's what a nanny wants.
0: Yeah, do you know what I did once? Because I I went to Budapest for a meeting that I had to do and I took Daisy with me. And it was slightly different because I used to live there. So I knew it very well. um, And I knew a lot of people who still still lived there. And I got a nanny in Budapest. So we went for the weekend so that I could acclimatise Daisy, meet the nanny, make sure that everything was going to be fine. And then I left Daisy with the nanny. She was super happy. She loved it. We met up with a lot of my friends. So I didn't do some of the things that probably I would have, like I didn't go for dinners and stuff because I didn't, if I'd left her in the day, I didn't want to leave her at night as well um but yeah the, i i was just like i've got to go how can i make this happen um on, on that particular occasion so there's th- there's ways you can you can get around it if you need to so then so you use the same doula for the birth for son?
1: and also i use the same donor is the other yeah. thing to say so they are full um siblings I think, yeah. yes phoned my doula again and she was thrilled and she was on board um had a very intense very intense birth but again all natural on my terms never felt more powerful in my life i couldn't move my all the muscles in my back and my shoulders i pulled every single one of them um, so I couldn't move for a few days. Um, and we had to stay in hospital for a couple of days. Um and where was your daughter? Was your daughter with your parents? Like, yeah, so she was at school. So I very cleverly managed to have a child in school hours. <laughs> <laughs> very well planned. And that, but actually he wasn't born until three in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. As my dad was driving to go and pick her up from school, oh. my mom him. So he got to the school playground and was like, <laughs> um, and then he took her back to their house and then when the midwife said it was appropriate he brought her actually they snuck her in because she wasn't really allowed but they snuck her in um, so she could come and meet him
0: and how did she feel about having a sibling
1: she i mean I the photos break my heart yeah. um and i'd done all the reading of things which was you know when she comes into the room i shouldn't be holding the baby so my mom was holding him and she i mean she was amazing she is Incredible with him, she's so patient. This morning, they were out on the trampoline at like eight o'clock. This morning, he was in his pajamas and the giggles. He just thinks that she is the bee's knees, it's so cute. And it was instant love, it's just beautiful. Beautiful, they've got,
0: they've got quite different personalities than the two of them.
1: Yeah, well, so this is the thing if I'd had him first, there is no way I would have had another child because he was a really, really difficult baby.
0: Yeah.
1: They told me through my pregnancy that I was having a big baby. Um, and I kept having to have all these scans and measurements. And actually he wasn't, he was six pounds and nine ounces.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But within like something ridiculous, like a week or 10 days, he was 10 pounds. So he came out small and then just grew. I think in hindsight, that he had some sort of digestive issues. And I did take him to a pediatrician, but they didn't help me. He was so unhappy all the time. Right. He was, it, it was. I think he was uncomfortable. He cried all the time. He was miserable. He wasn't, didn't want to be cuddled. Um, he didn't sleep. And it was really, really hard. And that with another child. And there is a moment of, you know, you feel, guilty for use of a better word because you know it's just been me and her for nearly four well for four years and suddenly I can't help you with that right now because I've got to feed the baby or I've got to but actually because she was four she understood and I could explain to her and I think that age difference is so great for me because she was old enough to understand I will help you in a minute, but you just have to let me change his nappy or come and help me change his nappy or, you know, I'm just feeding the baby, but you know, I'll hold him in this arm and I'll cuddle you with the other arm and, you know, just trying to find ways to, so that she didn't feel excluded. Mm -hmm. Again, having my mum meant that there was always someone else, but it was a very, very different experience. And we didn't go to baby groups. We didn't go to any of the you know, I, I didn't do NCT a second time, obviously. I didn't really know anyone else that had a baby of the same age. So it was a totally different experience. And also, you know, I had to take her to school and I had to pick her up from school. So the day is punctuated by, and it feels like a really short day suddenly. Um, but it was really hard. And again, I was very lucky that my team are so strong because I couldn't have worked. There's no way. He was just... It, was, it would have been impossible because he was just such hard work.
0: How long did you have off for the second? So I
1: had, I think it was seven months in the end because of how it fell. because um, the summer is a really quiet time mm. at my job. So I ended up going back at the beginning of September. Um, but we went on holiday just before I was due back to go to work. And he was waking up every two hours in the night. And I just thought, I don't know how I'm going to work. Like, you know i'm working, right i can't function it was really really hard really hard
0: i think i think it's interesting because i think that it's it's it, i guess it's kind of hard to explain to people because i hear that story a lot um not having a second child but just people's children are just so different and you just don't know what child you're going to get and so some people say know why has not someone told me it's this hard and then other people say this is a breeze you know it's easy and and it's often not necessarily um how you find motherhood it's more the child and whether they sleep and if they've got colic or reflux or whatever it is or you know and yeah if they if they're happy and yeah it's really interesting like you say if you get and a baby that's much easier at first it must be a lot more tempting to think about having um a second I would love to have another baby but I just feel like I wouldn't be able to to manage I don't know yeah I, I would love to do it but I just feel like it would be too much for me I just wouldn't be able to manage which is sad um I am trying to and Covid has not helped with this. Really have people that we were really close to that, you know, that Daisy. I, it's hard to replicate a sibling because you live with them, but you know, to try to get people that she really feels that strong connection with, and and yeah, that's that's I suppose what I'm going to do. And so, how are they together now?
1: They're wonderful. I mean, he is the opposite of her in every way. Yeah, he will sit quietly coloring in reading a book and he literally runs around the kitchen in circles shouting you cannot take your eyes off him for a second but he's really cute and funny he's just started speaking and Mm -hmm. suddenly the words are pouring out of him and they're all hilarious and so would you say probably then it was the first year that you that was the toughest bit of having absolutely because a because he was just a really unhappy baby, and also because it's then getting used to you know making sure that you're giving the older child your attention, and you have to really have to carve that out. Like bedtime is a big deal. They love a bath, so they'll be in the bath together for ages, and then Marnie will be in her room reading or playing, and I put him to bed because actually, I get more time alone with her than I do with him because he has a big nap during the day mm. look it's not easy it's really hard but the alternative you know is not something I wanted for mm-hmm. my And I think you know when people are thinking about being a solo parent you have to think about well, okay well if I don't do it and I don't have a child how does that look when I'm 40 50, 60, who you know. Will I regret it? Yeah, family is everything. And also, you don't regret the things you do, you regret the things you don't
0: do. So true.
1: So, I wanted to ask you two
0: final questions. So, the first question is for women who are thinking, how am I going to figure out my career and continue with my job? and balance
1: that with motherhood, what advice would you give them? I mean, I think I'm I'm really lucky to, I mean, I've been at my company for nearly 19 years. So I started as a, a you know, I was only meant to be there for six months on maternity cover and I've worked my way up and I'm very, I have a very good relationship with my bosses who are really, really very supportive. I know that other people, not everyone is as lucky as that. Um, But what I would say is this, people say to me all the time, I don't know how you do it. And I don't know how you do it. And the reality is, I don't have a choice. I just have to get on and do it because the alternative is sitting in the corner, rocking quietly while, you know, people squirt toothpaste all over the carpet. (laughs) Look, you have to have support. And again, I'm really lucky to have family support. If you don't have that family support, I don't think you should discount doing it. I think you just have to find other ways and other methods. And sometimes that's other solo mums who can support each other. It's finding out, you know, where you live, where the good nurseries, childminders, nannies, you know, but build that network around you. Uh, And then, you know, you need to understand how you can structure your day to make it work for you. I think also, you know, you have to talk to your company or bosses, whoever you work for, and just really explain to them that it's, you know, you need them to support you and be flexible. And and I am lucky because I work with a lot of women and a lot of them are mothers um, and their kids are older. So they've been through a lot of, you know, this or be with a partner, so it's slightly different. but. But I think just trying really, really hard to get the support and and structure your day in a way that works for you. And also so that you get to have time with your child. So then my last
0: question is for anybody who is considering to have a second. Now some people are really clear they want to have a second um, and you know that that's great. Other people I suppose um, more in my situation where they're like shy, I? will I be able to manage? Have you got any advice for sort of how to make
1: that decision? Look it's a massive juggle, there is, no, there is absolutely no sugarcoating that and again support is key. <laughs> Again, I just think if it's something you really want to do, don't turn around when you're 50 and regret not doing it. And you know what? It's not easy. It's absolutely not easy and it's hard. And there are definitely, you know, days when I just think, what, you know, what, what have I done here? <laughs> but then, you know, as they get older, it gets easier. But, you know, realistically, of course, having a second child financially impacts on you. And I don't think that's something not to really think about carefully because, you know, it's not about when they're babies. It's about when they're older. You know, I keep saying to, to both of them, you know, when you're older, I want to take you to South Africa so we can go on safari. And that's great. But that's going to cost a lot of money with we people. You know, it seems like everything is more expensive. Also, my son eats. Like a fifty-year-old man, so my food bills are out of control. <laughs> um, but uh, I don't. I don't know. I look. My attitude to most of these things is don't. Just don't regret not doing it.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and it's hard. Of course, it's hard. But you make it work. And I think that is the main takeaway of my experience as a solo parent: is just, just make it work. You just do, and also. There's only so much you can do. And I think certainly in the early days of lockdown when I couldn't have anyone, like I couldn't see my parents for weeks. You have to let stuff go as well. Yeah. Like it doesn't matter if the washing was piling up. And that's something to me that I struggled to let go of because I like to have everything in order. But actually it was fine, you know, okay, the washing was piling up, or I hadn't you know put the bins out for a couple of days it's it, it's fine the most important thing is that your children are loved and healthy and happy and all that other stuff it, it, just do it when you do it. it you know you can't put too much pressure on yourself and also don't look at people on instagram and compare your lives to them because it's all rubbish they are filtered and you know Airbrushed, and they've taken twenty-seven thousand photos to get that one perfect photo when both the kids are looking at the camera. Like, just don't, don't buy into any of that.
0: Yeah, it's so <laughs> true. It's so true. I know sometimes when I've been baking with Daisy, and I'm like, why isn't this baking experience like the Instagram baking <laughs> experiences? Why is the flour all over my kitchen and it's chaos?
1: I am too much of a control freak to do any of that. I'm like, yeah well uh, will do that bit mommy will do that <laughs> bit. Uh, messy place for school and nursery it's not from my house <laughs>
0: I like it very wise
1: well Sarah it's an absolute pleasure to talk to you
0: I think it'll be so fascinating for so many people I get so many people talking to me about juggling motherhood and career and also so many people talking about the decision to have a second so I think it'll be really interesting for people. And thank you for having me. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Stalker and I podcast, I'd hugely appreciate if you rate, review, and subscribe. I look forward to seeing you again next week.